0: Did you know that on our church's website or on iTunes or Google Play, you can find your way to FBC Norman Sermons and listen to uh, present and past sermons? I'm going to encourage you to do one thing for me, and that's to go uh, either tomorrow or Tuesday whenever it manages to find its way out there and listen to the message that was brought this morning during our meditations service. Uh, at 8.30. Crystal Bird, our children's minister, uh, preached this morning. It's about 12 minutes long, and I promise you, uh, it will not disrupt your day to listen to that. It will uh, inspire you. It lifted me up uh, in ways I did not expect. Uh, I would certainly want to encourage you to find your way to listen to Crystal's message from this morning. And if you didn't know all that information, now you know, so you can go find some other things to listen to as well. Do you know the name Alton Brown? He's a great theologian. Not really. He uh, is, is a host of a couple of my favorite shows for some reason. I don't watch much TV anymore that's not streamed from something or uh, saved to a DVR because commercials. And so these are two of the things that you will find me watching. I've lost many days on an Iron Chef America marathon. And I can't, ask, I can't answer, rather, your next question, which is why. I don't, I don't know why, but I know that I can lose full days paying attention to this man, Alton Brown. Did you know that other than his TV responsibilities, he stars in his own live two-hour variety show that includes live music sung by him, it includes stand-up comedy done by him, and it includes, my favorite thing, a 12-foot-long something that holds 54 stage light bulbs, generating 54,000 watts, one million lumens, and heats up to 650 degrees in this very large, easy-bake oven. (laughs) Alton Brown cooks pizzas during this two-hour show and delivers them out to audience members as he sees fit. And also during this two hour show, he goes through his list of the 10 things that he's sure about food. I'm not going to give you all 10 because some of them aren't funny. One of them is that chickens do not have fingers. As he tells this, he tells the story of when his daughter invited friends over for a slumber party and they asked for said chicken fingers. He, he managed to make them a batch of deep-fried chicken feet, the kind that they actually have. And then he talks about the moments afterwards when he's feeling sad and down. He remembers back to the screaming girls in his home when they realized that chicken do not have fingers. His list also includes things that you'll recognize the best ingredient to cook with is eggs, of course. He says that in part of his list, food shows don't make us fat, junk food does. I'll agree with that. And then, one particular item that caught my attention where I want to launch this morning. The most important kitchen tool is the table. His claim, rightly so, I think, is that food connects us and that doesn't happen easily unless there's a table to sit around. And that got me thinking the beauty of a table, no matter the size, the age, the materials from which it is made, it's a crucial piece of furniture because it allows us to sit, face each other, and truly see one another. Growing up in northwest Arkansas, we spent, my sister and I and mom and dad, many Friday nights at my grandparents' house. As far back as I can remember, I had one goal and one goal alone during these Friday nights, that was to sit at the grown up table for dinner. Week in and week out during that 20 minute drive, it didn't take long for us to get there, I daydream about the moment that I got to sit at the big table. And then I became a teenager and I no longer had that dream. I wanted to be anywhere but at that table because. I just assumed that I would be hounded with a barrage of questions that I didn't want to answer, didn't feel like answering, and because I was a teenager, I shouldn't answer. And once I got to share that table, I realized that it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't scary. It wasn't awkward. It was really rather wonderful. Because they did ask questions, but the questions weren't in an endless barrage. It was so that they could get to know me, as family likes to do. Do you know that feeling of sitting around a table? As we've had funeral after funeral in my family, of those who gathered around that table, do you know what I remember most? Getting to know a great aunt or a great uncle who I didn't know very well, I remember playing dominoes and getting beat horribly. I remember just sharing stories of our family that I had never heard that would not have happened had I not sat around that table because something unmistakable happens in those moments. Connections are made. They're not easily broken. Families are strengthened. Friendships forged and eyes are opened because sometimes we don't know who's sitting right in front of us This morning as we talk for a few minutes about connections. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24 We're going to start in verse 13. This is the walk to Emmaus These connections that we're talking about are the connections between us and God between us, in this room and outside. This is a story of two men walking on the road to Emmaus as they receive a surprise guest. I want to invite you to listen carefully and see if you can catch the appearance of the most important kitchen tool. I'm going to start in verse 13, and probably I'll comment along the way so we don't get lost. Now on that same day, This is the day of Jesus' resurrection, by the way. This is that day. This is a rather large day for everyone. Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. These two will answer the question about what things specifically in just a moment. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Interesting, isn't it, that we are let in on the secret? We know what's going on. And he, Jesus, said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days. Clearly, whatever has happened, and we know this is the day of resurrection of Jesus, whatever has happened was not a secret. It was not in some uh, corner of Jerusalem. Everyone knew or should have known what was going on. He asked them, Jesus did, what things? Remember, we're in on this secret. So Jesus is asking them to tell him what, what things, and here's their answer. They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Jesus continues, Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And he vanished from their sight. This is a story of how sometimes we don't know who's sitting right in front of us. Imagine with me for a moment this this day. This man, Jesus, was no longer where he had been buried. How in the world, they were thinking, surely could this have happened? They were walking back home some distance and were joined by a stranger who didn't seem to have any idea about what had been going on, who listened to them tell the story of what had happened, and then shared with them the story that he knew because, after all, it was all about him. They arrived home, they showed hospitality in their precious way, inviting Jesus to enjoy a meal, and seated around a table, the blinders came off. They saw this person for the first time, this person who had been with them all day long. Sometimes we don't even know who's sitting right in front of us. I heard a story just a few weeks ago about a typical morning greeting in one particular African village. In the morning, one says to another, good morning, how are you? Obviously in their native tongue. The answer, unlike Americans, our answer is I'm fine, or uh, uh in our house it's just that's about that's about enough silence right there for good morning. Their response to good morning, how are you was I see you. I see you. That is an entirely different kind of interaction. In the morning, don't you think? This idea of seeing has more to do with just than just the visual. It has to do with, I value you, you are important to me, I see you. I've come to understand that spiritual formation has to do with connections. While they come in many and varied ways, these connections are between us and God. And between us, our connections with each other, our connections with our neighbors, who Jesus defines elsewhere as anyone and everyone. Interesting, isn't it, that both of these kind of connections involve a table. So I'm wondering, at First Baptist and Norman, where are the connection points? Where can we connect with God? Where can we connect? Do we get to connect with each other? Do you have, I'm wondering, people in your life who can say, I see you, and they understand? Do you have someone in your life who will say that to you, and it's not a completely awkward moment of dread or silence? For many of us, it's very difficult to allow someone in like that. That's a certain kind of relationship, connection. It seems that worship is our main avenue to a connection with God. This morning we have been connected with God again. I'm wondering if you'd do me a favor and just pull out your worship guide for just a moment. Find that little section that's entitled notes, or maybe you have a scrap piece of paper, or maybe there's something, or write it on your hand. I just would like for you to write one word or a date? The last time before today that you connected with God? It could be Monday. It could be June the 4th. It could be whatever you choose to put there. We're not taking them up or grading them. This is for you to think about when was the last time you connected with God. I'm also wondering what most of us, as you write that down and as you think of that, what most of us are praying for as we are worshiping together. When those on the platform lead us, what do we do? What is our response to that? Perhaps we connect with God through the words of the song being sung or the words of the scripture being read. Or maybe when we're singing together in worship, we tend to notice those off-key voices that we love to hear that are around us. At our very first church, I remember hearing this sweet little voice who couldn't find a tune if it hit him in the face, but he sung louder than anyone else in that entire church, and I wanted to sit in front of him every single week. One day he found the tune, and then he sang in front of the church, and I don't know what he's doing now, whatever he wants, I'm sure. The point is, sometimes it's knowing the people around us in worship that allow us to connect with God in new and different and special ways. Because we do connect to one another in worship also. And sometimes, as we did last week, we connect around a table as we share the Lord's Supper. In our story from today in Luke 24, if you jump down to 30, maybe verse 30, you see Jesus, what He did with this meal— Do you remember? Jesus took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He passed it. That sounds vaguely familiar to the last supper He had with His disciples in that upper room before His crucifixion. We connect with God around a table in this room. We can also connect with God through His Word. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about the reading of Scripture for information. I'm not talking about Bible trivia. What I'm talking about is an immersion into the stories of Scripture that form our faith. When is the last time that we read Scripture slowly, deliberately, taking a breath as we go? For the purpose of listening for God, not for finding the next Bible study topic or the central theme of the passage. It's just to listen for God through His Word. This morning we gave Bibles to our first and sixth graders. It's one of my favorite days of the year. Parents and grandparents, I'm wondering, are we showing our children what to do with these Bibles? Are they seeing us read ours are we talking about it with them we are connected with God as we read scripture for formation we connect to those around us as we talk through, think about listen to one another as we all read the scriptures together but we don't just connect with God we connect with each other as Eugene Peterson has reminded us, like the sacramental use of bread and cup, friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. And describe for just a moment or two a few ways that you might be able to find a connection at First Baptist in Norman. We have life groups for everyone that meet on Sunday morning just before this worship service. A new one began this morning for young adult couples. A full room, fantastic to begin things anew. We have a meal on Wednesday nights that you do not want to miss. It's a chance to sit around, again, these tables and check in with each other in the middle of the week. We have Bible study opportunities right after that. That's yet another connection point. There is a women's Bible study and a men's Bible study that begins this week. There is another opportunity beginning on September 7th called Foundations. Foundations will actually end up being six different courses offered one or two at a time during a semester. This semester, we have Mike Wilson and Chris Canary, our university minister, co-leading a course titled Biblical Hermeneutics, Reading the Bible Wisely. The goal for these courses is to have a discussion somewhere between youth camp and a seminary classroom. That's a big gap. But somewhere in there, that discussion will land. And in order to be fully into this course, there's a book that you will want to purchase as part of that. It's, it's an intense, I think, moment for us to decide to connect through Scripture with people who are ready to dive in together. Another way is our Dinner for Eight groups. Today is the last day to sign up for those. This is, surprise, a group of eight people who, again, surprise, get together uh, to share a meal once a month for four months. This is a time when you can meet someone of a different generation, people you have not got to know very well. Today's the last day to sign up. Next week, we kick off with a lunch. It's a wonderful opportunity just to be around people you might not otherwise be around, to get to know them, to learn their favorite food choices, and perhaps to make them yourself should you so choose. We connect with God, we connect with each other, but we also connect with our neighbors. Also, around a table. In one of the ways that we do that. Did you know that on the first and third Sunday afternoon, early evenings, we have what we call Sunday Supper? It's for anyone who needs a meal. You could come and serve the meal. You could come and just sit around the table with them and have a conversation To see what's going on in their lives. Occasionally we serve a meal down the street. At food and shelter. We have a group of 16 or so. That number fluctuates a little bit. Kids hope mentors. Who meet with an elementary school student at Lincoln Elementary. Not far from here. Once a week. And we're always looking for more. That involves making a connection with an elementary student. And their family. We have some who started with Kids in elementary, and now they're in middle school, and they still maintain that connection. It's a beautiful picture of what church can be. There are tons of other ways that you can find a connection. I know that our community minister, Angela Atkins, would love to talk to you about some of the ways that you might be able to plug in. This is by no means an exhaustive list of everything or every way that you might find a connection. And I promise you, if you're having a difficult time finding a place, find one of us on the ministry staff. We will help. We will help get you plugged in, connected in some way. In our house of three boys, there has been one toy to rule them all over the years. One of them, this is not our living room, one of them is Lego bricks. This is the toy. In one of the bedrooms in our house, we have drawer after drawer and bin after bin of every color, shape, size you can imagine. They've been used to create wonderful projects and then destroyed moments later. That's the fun part. For a while, Lego kits were the ultimate birthday gift, the ultimate Christmas gift. It didn't matter what was going on, end of school, start of school, we wanted Lego kits in our house. And here's why. The fun is in the connecting of those bricks. Each brick by itself is wonderful, unless you're stepping on it, right? (laughs) Quite dangerous. But when we start connecting them in the right way, we end up creating something wonderfully complex. The wonder there is found in simply the connecting. We bring each brick, perfectly selected shape and size and color, connect them to the others, And we find that for which we've been searching. Life is like that, I think. We are each unique individuals, bringing our personality, our skills, our passions to people longing to be connected. And just like Lego, the fun is in the connecting. One of the Lego kits that one of our boys received was a gigantic project. It took about 15 hours to complete Many of the parts were too small for these short stubby fingers to pick up and find and put them in the right place. It just didn't happen. I just ended throwing them at the thing and the boys just kind of went and found them and put them in the right place. At several points, we thought we have lost our way. We are nowhere near where we should be according to the instruction books. It was a three-volume set of instructions to put this thing together. We thought we had lost our way, but then... There was a connection that was made and both of us at the same time went, oh. And all of a sudden again, the fun was in the connecting. Seeing what we had created together. As we connect to each other, something wonderful happens. Our faith journeys intersect. My story becomes your story. Your story becomes mine. All of this together becomes our story together when we sit around a table and see the people there with us we usher in the possibility that the Holy Spirit will help us to see them even more that we might urge one another on to know God more and differently these are the connections that are worth making we long for our eyes to be opened so that we can see Jesus who has been with us all along. Connections are worth making. These connections with God, these connections with each other, these connections with our neighbors. Our faith grows, our story continues to build Our trust in other human beings continues to develop. These experiences can happen because just like these two men walking a journey home, finally sitting around a table, and God opening their eyes. For we know that this table might just be the most important tool that we have to offer one another. Will you pray with me?